Welcome to the Yellow Brick Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Helms, and today in episode nine, we interview expert Krista Reed all about BFRBs, which I know is kind of a weird topic, and you might be thinking, what the heck is that? And we talk all about that during our show. I'm really excited to have Krista on. She's a licensed clinical social worker and an amazing human being. So I think you guys will really enjoy her sense of humor and her down-to-earthness and her wealth of knowledge. Also, tune in after the show where we'll talk a little bit more about Soma Recovery. For now, let's get into the show. So let's start with the first question. Okay, let's do this. What did you want to be when you were a kid in elementary school? Oh, my gosh. I wanted to be an actress. Really? I loved, still love musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when I was in high school, I would help with uh, children's theater. And a couple years, I was really fortunate where I got to direct and write some of the plays and be more involved in that. And that's actually what I went to college for was theater that and performance. So cool. Yeah. That is so cool. Used to practice my Oscar speeches. Really? Uh-huh, yeah. So what what would you say <laughs> if you got an Oscar? Well, the first thing that I would say, because <clears throat> I would cry inevitably, right, right, is that my mom always told me that I'm not a pretty crier, so I shouldn't cry when I win. But you know what? I won an Oscar. So yep. I'm crying anyways, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> you tell her, right? I would. But then I would thank her because she's the best. Yeah. Yeah, I'm part of your story. That's cool. Yes. So the second one, going right into the deep stuff, mm-hmm. um, what has been one of the worst or what I call most learning moments in therapy? Oh, boy. It doesn't have to be like the one, but like what, what are no, some I of do them have, that you've had? I do have a <clears throat> the one. Um, oh, goodness. I would say... It was kind of earlier on in my career. I had a uh, a teenager who, um, and and one thing I work um, frequently with is suicide. However, homicide is a whole different facet, and it was the first time I ever worked with anybody who was experiencing homicidal ideations. And it was yeah, it was just that. It was wow. And I remember thinking in that session, just completely going blank, thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And ended up having an emergency family meeting. And uh, thankfully, you know, there was no homicide. Everything turned out uh, for the the better. And that person um, continues to kind of keep in touch every once in a while and is doing and is functioning very well. But that was something that was definitely a sink or swim moment. And I just remember feeling glued to my chair and feeling that time had stopped and I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, "Ah, why am I the therapist in this situation? I, Uh, but I handled it. And if and when a situation like that arises, I feel so much more prepared. Mm-hmm. So I was just literally being thrown out into the wolves and saying, okay, now survive. Right. Well, in any, so I will say for, in my experience of therapy, I have not had that happen yet. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that in a way. Um, but, you know, is there any sort of 
guidance or words of wisdom you'd give for those who haven't experienced this yet? Trust your gut. Mm. And I think that that was probably the biggest thing I did because I would um, seek help from my colleagues and at that time I didn't I didn't have a clinical license so I sought help from my clinical supervisor and really more than anything I I kind of almost went to a survival mode and just went back to going it's all about safety what do we know about safety what do we need to do to make sure this kid is going to be safe and having that family meeting and thankfully in this case um, he had a very um, very good support system but I think more than anything in that moment, as, um, as selfish as it may seem, as I was sitting there having a client who was wanting to um, kill other people, is yeah. I really needed that support because it scared me. Yeah. Was that somebody who was sitting in front of me wanted to actually kill another human being. That was um, kind of surreal. And so I was really thankful that I had an amazing uh, clinical support system yeah no, so I'm yeah sure that that's helpful that's definitely nothing that a therapist um, needs to handle on their own right and I I I'm with you in that I think that regardless of whether you have a clinical license or not it's always helpful to have a support system of uh, yes therapists that you can turn to and mm-hmm. talk to and bounce things off of and you know reflect on self as a therapist sort of thing mm-hmm. so like yeah and just those tough moments because I mean even with our colleagues, I know that there have been a couple of really tough moments over this past year for them. I mean, I, tough isn't even the right word to describe it, you know? Yeah. That's being modest. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, the support of your peers is incredibly Mm -hmm. important. Um, but yeah, I imagine that would be a really, really tough moment in therapy, especially like you've built rapport with this client and to think of somebody like, you know, you really probably care about in the therapeutic way, you know, Mm -hmm. Yep. struggling with that yep yeah that would be tough and now let's kind of flip the script and talk about your best like also probably learning moment in therapy but like best a good one where you get to kind of brag on yourself where you're like oh I did it sweet. well <laughs> um well I will say it's it's the same the same person yeah as that it was a it was a situation um trauma Mm-hmm. substance abuse and this kind of thing and the fact that this person is functioning well today and you know we all have our hiccups and so forth and this person continues to have their hiccups but for the most part you know they're not in that deep and dark moment anymore and even though that moment for me was scary and even looking back I think to myself oh you know that would have if I would have known that I could have handled that differently and so forth however I think for what I had in that moment the tools in my toolbox at that time I handled it the best of my ability and it turned out great and so it's a situation where you talk about bragging is my very first homicidal client didn't kill anybody and I know how (laughs) black and white that sounds right but to me that is a fantastic success that's something that's scared me so much I was able to keep cool calm and focus on the client and then seek out support and um, handle that anxiety afterwards 
Yes. No, that's, I mean, that's a great point because yeah, I think that would be such a tough moment in therapy to catch you off guard and then to be able to work through that. And yeah, those are like the things we talk about, you know, when it comes, I know you work a lot with suicide and I think that's a really suicide and homicide with our clients struggling with those thoughts or feelings, I would imagine that's probably one of the scariest, hardest um, topics to really talk about with clients. So yeah, at least I'll speak for myself. Suicide is still a scary topic for me to talk about, but a very necessary and important one. Yep. I agree. Very necessary and important. Um, Now the fourth one is just, kind of fun what's your spirit animal what's my spirit animal well I know your spirit animal (laughs) and so I know that we have the same spirit animal we are both butterflies I hope you're okay with me calling you out (laughs) and I think it's so fitting because I see uh well let me just talk about myself um I see myself as being such a free spirit Mm. and I've always been one that believed that if it's not harming you and it's not going to harm another person just do it mm-hmm. if you want to wear clothes that don't match who cares if you want to color your hair who cares that's that's maybe my problem <laughs> <laughs> well the you know what jenny you're not hurting match. anybody yeah, you okay know, you're right i'm not i support not. you might hurt their eyeballs a little bit but, you know <laughs> it's all good but i even remember from a really young age my grandma telling me that um, i marched to the beat of a different drummer And she knew that back then when I was two or three and um, a lot older than two or three now. And I'm still very much that way. Yeah. So a butterfly is incredibly fitting for me. Yes. You are quite a free spirit. And I love it. (laughs) Thank you. I admire that about you. Thank you. Um, Well, and to to go into like the, the meat of our show, I normally I'd ask like what's something people don't know about this topic but I think this topic specifically and like what I'm sure we'll go into other stuff too but um I know when I first met you Mm -hmm. I was like what the heck is a BFRB (laughs) (laughs) I get that a lot and so I think honestly I just want to start with that Mm -hmm. I just want to start with what what are BFRBs? Yeah. And tell me a little bit more about what caught your interest even in, in learning more about that and working with that population. Um, yeah, explain that to us. Because, again, I didn't even know that that was a thing until I met you. Sure, sure. And I, I get that a lot. Yeah. And even the clients that I treat even talk about um, how they have worked with other professionals, doctors included and so forth, that they aren't, are unfamiliar with the term what so bfrb stands for body focus repetitive behaviors Mm -hmm. and what a body focus repetitive behavior is and you're gonna hear me shorten it down to bfrb just for lack of uh i I don't want to do that tongue twister all the time yeah (laughs) repetitively um what it is is when somebody is causing injury to um essentially the body um however how it differs from self-harm is the intent to harm is not there. So for example, and there's multiple different types of BFRBs, and I can see myself listening to this later saying, I forgot one. So 
just roll with it. Mm-hmm. So there is trichotillomania, and that's hair pulling. And I'm not going to say all the scientific terms because, quite frankly, I can't pronounce all of them. That's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> there, <clears throat> there's, ex- And the clients probably won't come in and say, I have trichotillomania anyway. They're going to be like, hey, I pull my hair a lot. And Well, that, that's a really common term with the BFRB population. So oh, a really? lot of them actually do say that. Ooh. Some of the others, they don't say so much. Okay. Um, there's excoriation disorder, and that's skin picking. That used to be called dermatillomania Mm -hmm. and then so I'm going to say this fastly fastly is that even a word I don't know so (laughs) then there's hair eating Mm -hmm. there's um, compulsive hair cutting there's uh, skin eating there's nail pulling nail biting cheek biting tongue biting lip biting I think that's it in terms of all of them so you could see it all has something oh and nose picking so it all has to do with something just within themselves and they're not necessarily um, wanting to harm so there's some type of um, removal of Mm. some type of uh, body piece (laughs) right okay and you know even just out of my own curiosity um would you say that you find there are different core issues or maybe patterns of core issues that align with certain types where, you know, a hair puller has typically a certain kind of pattern or core issue versus somebody who picks their nose or no. would you would you say that there's a lot of similarity amongst all of them? So there is yet a lot of research to be done mm-hmm. with BFRBs. In fact, the um, American S- um, Psychiatric Association didn't even recognize um, BFRBs. Specific, they really only recognized kind of two of them. Um, <clears throat> but they didn't recognize trichotillomania until 1987. And so mm-hmm. there's still a lot to be known about it. Mm-hmm. Um, as of right now, they don't really know why some people with trick may pull their scalp versus why is it just hair because mm. there's certain places that are more appealing and oftentimes BFRB suffer, sufferers may have just more than one type of a BFRB mm-hmm. um, I also didn't answer one of your other questions you asked how did I get into this oh, yes. yes so yes. Um, I got into it because when I was a teenager is when I started picking my own skin mm-hmm. and I hit it forever I mean, it was really probably up until fairly recently that I've been talking more about it with my loved ones. Um, Minus my husband, of course. My husband has known pretty much all along. Um, But it was when I was in grad school. So I was in grad school in 2007 and learning about trichotillomania and thinking, well, this sounds like exactly what I'm doing, but I'm doing it with my skin. Mm -hmm. And so finding out more about that and then finding the term dermatillomania and then finding the foundation, it's actually the foundation that I got my training in. It's called the TLC Foundation for BFRBs. Mm. And so learning more about that and then figuring out what are the treatments, what I need to do. And essentially when I felt that I had more of a grasp on my own behavior is when I started uh, reaching out and treating clients. And that was about four or five years ago. That's really cool. That's such a neat, like, wounded healer's journey that – yeah. Yeah, I was having a hard time finding people that, uh, never mind could treat it, even knew about it. Right. Do you find that that's ever an obstacle and like having, well, because, okay, like even in your own experience, I imagine when you were going through it, like you said, like you didn't quite understand exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't have a word for it or it wasn't really talked about. 
a lot. And so I wonder if that's ever even just an obstacle for people even coming in or sharing that with their therapist or like yes. having ever having a therapist ask them that question or even going there. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. we don't really typically assess for skin picking or trichotillomania or anything. Right. No. And, and quite frankly, even myself as being a treatment provider, I don't know why somebody would okay. just blatantly ask at an assessment, <clears throat> oh, do you pull out your hair? Do you pick your skin? Should it be something? Yes. However, to be honest with you, <laughs> humans are kind of gross, <laughs> is that we all do some type of behavior regarding whether we pull our hair we pick Mm -hmm. our skin we pick our nose we're Mm -hmm. biting our nails or something like that when it becomes a bfrb when it actually becomes to that diagnostical point that's again not even a word (laughs) (laughs) if i'll tell the i'll i'll tell you this my clients for the most part are pretty used to me either making up words or totally butchering words yeah I didn't Uh. I I don't have a degree in the language that I speak so just kind (laughs) of roll with it so what it it gets to an actual BFRB is when the person feels like they cannot control it Mm. they may be losing time with it they may have tried to stop it before and they just for whatever reason they just feel like they can't Mm -hmm. and it gets to the point to where with um, with trick you may have um, bald spots on your scalp, eyelashes, eyebrows, uh, mm-hmm. you may not have those. Um, and then other parts of the body, uh, of course, and with skin picking, uh, typically it would result in needing a Band-Aid or something like that. And so it's to the point to where harm occurs, but harm is not the intent. Okay. Gotcha. And so it's it becomes like, I don't want to say disturbing, <clears throat> but like there's some, there's some point at which it crosses over into a BFRB. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's like the disturbingness of it or I feel like that's a bad word. Basically where it would be bad enough for you to for it to impact your life or impact your quality of life in some way. Completely agree 100%. And it is challenging uh, for people to even seek treatment mm-hmm. because there is so much shame related to this. Yeah. I mean, just think about <clears throat> this type of stuff that people who are suffering from BFRBs are essentially um, attacking. We're attacking things that are related to superficial beauty. Yeah. Is a woman may want to have her hair down on her wedding day, but she has a bald spot and so she can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have seen your pictures and be ashamed of the fact you pick your face. Right. You may want to go get your nails done with a friend, but you're a nail biter, and so your nails don't appear healthy. Mm-hmm. And then when you go out to get your hair done or get a facial or get your nails or just whatever, you're going to have that reminder that you aren't taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so not only are these people having a hard time even coming into therapy to talk about this, they're even having a hard time finding somebody to take care of their hair, skin, and nails. Because mm-hmm. I would imagine that if you're going in and it's something you feel shame about mm-hmm. and you don't quite understand about yourself, yeah. and then somebody makes a comment like a hair dresser or your nail stylist is like oh what did you do to your hands or what's Mm -hmm. going on with your like I imagine that would be a really hard moment because then you'd have to kind of face yourself and it's it 
it's hard for us to face ourselves. I mean, that's like a more visual, physical thing that we can see typically. But I mean, we all struggle to face ourselves in the different ways we act out in our everyday life. Sure. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I'm more curious about because I know that like I won't even know always the right questions to even ask or like the Mm -hmm. avenues that I'm not covering because I don't know enough about this topic. And so I'm always thinking about what's the thing you feel like a lot of people and therapists, people and therapists misunderstand or don't understand about BFRBs. What are we not like, even if we hear a little bit about it, like what are the things we might be missing or I'll say one thing that I see, um, I'll say fairly occasionally, I won't go to the point of saying often, is uh, it can be related to Mm self-harm. And that's something, and it goes down, I mean, it goes deep within me because that was something that was even seen with me with the skin is that um, this seems like it's attention-seeking. This seems like you are harming yourself because you are picking the skin off until you bleed. Nope, don't want to do that totally different it's Mm -hmm. not coming from this place of self-loathing it's not coming from this depressive part of me that wants to hurt I don't want to hurt myself Mm -hmm. and unfortunately um and it's it's still happening which I'm hoping that more education gets out there to where it stops when people pull their hair and pick their skin you really have to assess what is the intent So when you are pulling your hair, why are you doing it? And chances are it is not self-harm. It's all about that intent. Yeah. Could you give us a few examples of some of the intents that you'll hear from people so we can kind of just have a more understanding of what's like an – how you know, just give Mm -hmm. more life to that example, right? Because even in my brain, I'm like trying to think. I'm like, what would be other intents because I don't work with that area Sure, and it's – complicated right um because researchers basically are saying you know this is such a complex behavior that in order to treat it you have to meet it at its complexity Mm. so how we treat it and the only method that's actually approved right now is a very comprehensive model of cognitive behavioral therapy Mm. so you really have to figure out what is on their mind how are they feeling where are they what are they doing are they around people Do they use tools? There's so many different things that you have to assess to figure out what's going on with them. And that's how you treat it because so much of this is preventative. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, with with treating with somebody with self-harm, you're not going to need to necessarily ask those questions. When Mm -hmm. people are self-harming and people are doing BFRBs, they're going to be able to tell you, Mm -hmm. did you mean to hurt yourself? People know when they mean to hurt themselves. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. And just a lot. It sounds like a lot of context. Oh, yes. A lot of context. It is is very much. Hmm. Interesting. And would you say that like, because I mean, I know that I like the quote you said, because I, I feel like that's very representative of how eating disorders are as well in the sense that they're complex yeah. and you have to meet it at its complexity. You can't just a lot of, you know, again, my parents will come in and be like, why can't she just eat or why can't she just do that? And I'm yes. like, because it's not that simple. Probably the same thing with BFRBs. Oh, why don't stop. you just stop, right? Yeah, just stop it. You want your hair to grow back? Just cut just, it out. Just stop. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and my clients and I kind of joke around about this. It's just like, yeah, we'd love to. 
right. We would love to stop. And then right. I even have some um, witty clients that will even tell their spouses, because I encourage family to be a part of treatment. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, oh, well, then I don't need therapy. That's all, that's all I need to do is I just need to stop. Well, <laughs> why don't you tell me that sooner? It's like, gosh, you have all the answers. Well, there's that key. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. <laughs> right. No, it's so true. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I get, my my guess is that when you're saying that, I mean, there are deeper layers to it and multiple factors involved yeah. and, you know, <clears throat> needing to understand the full picture as much as we can, because I don't know that anybody's ever going to understand their full, full picture a hundred percent, but, sure. um, but at least getting most of those parts, um, to, like involved in therapy is very important. Absolutely. If you have an understanding of the circumstances that may increase some of these urges and thoughts, mm-hmm. the likelihood of you decreasing the behavior is so much greater. Right. Right. And just understanding the context of it mm-hmm. instead of just looking at it as a behavior. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. And I know that, like, so in your repertoire, you know, you work with BFRBs, you work with all sorts of different things. Like, I mean, I know you, you worked with, um, obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety Mm -hmm. and depression and suicidality. Um, what, what's like another area that you feel like you really enjoy working with? Cause I know, again, you work with all these different areas and I'm like, you've got a lot (laughs) of tricks up your sleeve. Not only am I a butterfly, I'm kind of a chameleon too. And I was just telling this to another colleague that I feel like I kind of have um, therapy FOMO. <laughs> FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> Where I want to be trained in all the things. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> but I would Unrelatable. S- <laughs> Unrelatable. <laughs> Unrelatable, exactly. <laughs> um, but I would say another area that I'm really passionate for is mindfulness. I just mm. love mindfulness. And it can be incorporated throughout any kind of behavior, any kind of mental illness and physical illness. I mean, there's so many pieces where mindfulness can be so powerful and I just love it. That's neat. And so how long have you been like working with mindfulness, um, learning about it? Oh, I would say uh, probably about five or six years. Okay. Something like that. Maybe longer. I don't really know for sure. Uh, but I've always enjoyed the use of meditation. Um, I love using yoga when I can. Just really figuring out just a really um, fun and relaxing way to have that mind-body connection. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. And you recently just got your certification in, I don't want to say it wrong, it's kids yoga, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, I'm a kids yoga teacher now. For so cool. I'm, I'm only trained in ages 8 to 13. Okay. But here in a few months, I'm going to be getting training for ages 2 to 7. It's awesome. The yeah. Littles, all the littles. Oh, I'm so excited. And it's so cool. It's such a different level because I've been doing yoga for many years and doing it specifically with kids is so different mm-hmm. because it doesn't feel like you're doing yoga because there's so much creativity involved in it and it's so much mm-hmm. silliness. Mm-hmm. There's play, it sounds like. Oh, it's there's like so much play, and, and there's so much sensory inter- integration, and mm. um, so many metaphors, and it's just beautiful. That's really cool. Yeah. That's so neat. And so for <clears throat> therapists, and like I feel like just humans who have kiddos, like tell us more about why why yoga for kids? I mean, I know that we're so used to the idea of like adults going to yoga, but sure. why kids? 
Why kids? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, I will say probably the kind of the short of that is uh, we have such a society where we're constantly plugged in. We're constantly busy. We're constantly doing so many things. Mm. And just like adults need self-care, kids need self-care. Yeah. And more importantly, kids just need a time to play. Mm. And what this can do is it can teach kids in a really fun manner how to be mindful and also how to take care of themselves. Hmm. That's so great. <clears throat> so they're learning those like emotion regulation skills. Oh, yes. Early. Yes. And yeah, it's amazing. And I think it's tough because it, I love how it's kind of like indirectly teaching them that because mm-hmm. the way that I'm conceptualizing it is they're learning it without it being like sitting down in a class and learning it it's like they're actually being in it and experiencing it Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of kiddos miss and you know as a kid you don't know what you're missing or or the skills that you're not developing when it comes to emotions yeah and uh so it's really cool that you kind of like sneak it in but also give Mm -hmm. them play and fun and creativity and yeah so cool so I'm really excited about that and you're going to be doing that at Soma Recovery I am starting in mid-February I think we were talking about yes yes hoping to do it um I believe I said the time 10 to 11 I think on Saturdays yeah yeah Saturdays so okay 10 to 11 (laughs) yep and yeah well we're hashing out all those details right now but Mm -hmm. yeah I'm very excited for you to to do that and to offer space yeah. to do that because for the I older believe kiddos in you. for yeah. now and then when I get trained um I will be doing uh littles group and that littles. that will be sometime um during the daytime so it doesn't interfere with naps and doesn't interfere with you know yada 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 so yeah all the things little, that yeah, the littler kids need different times than the bigger kids it's true they have a different kind of structure sure. and schedule yeah it definitely makes sense um so let's go into our final four okay well then yes final four (laughs) what is one thing you wish you knew when you first started doing therapy oh gosh I wish (laughs) this is gonna sound so silly I wish I knew how to relax Mm -hmm. because I felt that in the beginning I was so task oriented that I was so just, okay, I have these progress notes. I have this and this and this. I have to diagnose. I need to focus on this. And I really need to pay attention to my questions. And really that I was missing the bigger picture of really engaging the client and establishing that relationship. And I feel just like my own anxieties of making sure that all these other protocols were met and policies and all this kind of stuff that I probably was giving pretty subpar therapy because my mind was, I mean, I wasn't having mindful sessions, if that would make sense. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you're so focused on the, mm-hmm. the doingness of it. Yes. <laughs> what am I doing? And, <laughs> yes. Uh, am I doing this right? Probably. And in the yes. right order and versus just being a part of the process. Exactly. Like yeah. a client says this, okay, Krista, what's, what what is the most ethical way to respond to this? And it was almost as if I was playing out my licensing test oh my in a session. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. I mean, it's great that we have ethics and licensing tests and mm-hmm. theories and stuff like that. But they don't always, yeah, yeah, They're not always the bigger picture. And yeah. it's that's so relatable, though. You know, just thinking back on all the times that like 
a client would be in a story and like they'd say something and I'm like, oh, I got a good response for that. And then I yes. totally would miss the next like minute of their story mm-hmm. um, because I was so into my great idea that I had about that one thing. And like, you know, so mm-hmm. learning to listen better and get out of our own heads. No, I totally <laughs> agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think a lot of baby therapists, myself included, like baby therapists, baby therapists, yeah, (laughs) that's what we do. We're all like, I want to do this right. Like, I want to make sure, you know. Well, maybe not everybody, but I'll speak for myself. I wanted to do it right, and being a perfectionist and an anxious person to have my clients do well, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'll speak to my own anxiety. Um, That definitely was part of my baby therapy experience too. (laughs) Um, Well, tell me, what is a good psych-related book for therapists or just like, you know? Oh my goodness. (sighs) Non-therapist. Okay. um, I feel like anything written by uh, Dr. Dan Siegel is ridiculously fantastic. Yep. I recommend The Whole Brain Child to almost every single one of the parents that walks through my door. Um, and you're a parent, so you, so you live that too. Yes. And I even found that, um, not even necessarily the whole brain child, but his book, no drama discipline. I really felt that that put things into perspective Yeah. because I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh, I'm so perfect. I've never yelled at my kids. I've never gotten super frustrating or frustrated with them. That's, that would be a lie. Right. But what it has really helped me to do and along with the whole brain child is put things into perspective of what am I teaching my child at this moment I'm frustrated I'm supposed to be <clears throat> obviously not a perfect role model but I'm supposed to essentially model how a human um, acts appropriately and acts healthy and so forth and when I'm frustrated I go take a break Mm-hmm. And you know what? I go back to my kid and I will even tell them, I say, you know what? I was having a hard time. I was feeling frustrated mm-hmm. and I needed to take a break because I think if you're frustrated, I think if you're mad, talk with your kids about that because we need to be implanting those kind of words and implanting those seeds mm-hmm. into the kids' minds. And that way, when they feel like that, they can tell you and they can express themselves in a healthy manner versus punching their brother, which to be fair, May still happen. <laughs> May still happen from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what that's I love good. about um, Dr. Siegel is he even talks about how, yeah, I I wrote this book. Am I a perfect dad? Nope. Mm. Yeah. No, I mean, none of us will be perfect parents. None. Nobody. No. And, and perfection is an opinion anyways. No, but I think it's – and uh, let me put an and there. And I think mm-hmm. it's still cool that parents are out there – working on it and like trying to do a little bit better than their parents before them and Mm -hmm. like I really think his science is really interesting um he's brilliant he just he just knows he puts language to parenting and yes helps parents put language to their kids so they have language and yes can identify their emotions like you said and like don't shut your kid out just because you're feeling upset you know deal with it and with the tools that you have but also go back and let your kid know that hey I was having a hard time Mm -hmm. and it's okay for us to have hard times and let them know that it's okay to be mad it's okay to be frustrated but it's not okay to hurt themselves other people or things yes it's so good 
And, you know, I remember um, a, a professor back at Friends making the um, statement, like, you know, they never saw their parents get angry or have fights and how that actually wasn't good for them because yeah. over time, you know, they, when they were starting to have those complex emotions as a kid, they felt like there was something wrong with them yeah. and they didn't language it and they kept it inside and that leads to other stuff. So like you're really pointing out a very important like modeling thing. Oh, and sure. like, I, I think also like, you know, you're also helping parents have less shame about the fact that parenting is hard and frustrating. It is hard. <laughs> so. It's hard. We are responsible for creating responsible humans. Mm-hmm. I mean, pressure. Like, I'm not a parent, and I admire parents. I think you guys are awesome and have, you know, amazing patience. And I really, I mean, I hope to be one one day, but I, yeah, I'm definitely in a space of admiration for the time being. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's really, that's cool. What about a favorite quote or a quote that is just meaningful to you in your life right now? Okay. So, this is my favorite quote ever (laughs) um so one thing um that some people may know about me is I love art love 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 art uh if I could I would spend all day in a museum just by myself like I I love art and just I'm that annoying person that will read everything about a painting or a sculpt like I just love it well, my very favorite artist, um, I don't think is that much of a coincidence since I'm a bit of a colorful person, is Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his quote, I think, is just beautiful. And it's, there should be a course in first grade on love. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so true mm-hmm. that, you know, not to, I don't want to sound anything. I don't want, I don't want to make, you know, what we're teaching our kids not important and so forth. But just teaching them love and kindness and gratitude goes such a long ways. Yeah. I'm with you there, sister. Yes. Yeah. So that is, that's the one that's near and dear to me. Yes. Yes. And what's, um, what's a question I didn't ask that you feel like would be Mm. helpful or important for people to understand about you, any of the topics we covered? A question you didn't ask. Yeah. Oh gosh, um, I honestly I don't know if I can think of anything. I really think you did a great job. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> I will. Well, I'll say this. Um, maybe, maybe this could be a question you didn't ask. Is what would be one thing that I would love to change? Maybe about the BFRB treatment is I would love for there to be more of us trained in it. Mm, yes. Yeah. No, I, we were we were discussing this even before the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I I'm still kind of shocked that like it's not something I knew about. Yeah, you know, because when I met you, I was out of grad school, and so it wasn't like I hadn't had training or anything, and mm-hmm. it's just not even discussed. And so, and it it's not rare. No, I mean, so, yeah. Could you could you speak more to the prevalence of it? Yeah, absolutely. So they say, and you know, keep in mind. Statistics and numbers are always skewed because oftentimes they're based off of people that come into treatment. Right. So the belief is that 5% of the population has trichotillomania and roughly 4 has excoriation disorder. Okay. And, and they say... Percentage. 
And they say um, out of the uh, trick suffers, 90% are female, and out of skin, 80% are female. But even the trick one is very subject to criticism because uh, males can hide it. I was about to say, what's Mm -hmm. your theory on that? So Mm. men um, can and do pick their beard Mm -hmm. and then shave. And you would, you, you don't know. Right. That's true. Um, the only way you may know is if they have, um, like an ingrown hair or something, which is not abnormal. Right. At all. Right. And then trichotillomanian men can also look like, uh, uh, male pattern baldness. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So do you think that there is a gender disparity in how it presents? And if so, any theories as to why that might be? I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know. I know that's something that researchers currently are looking into is to getting kind of more of an idea. However, at the same time, we know just statistically with mental health, more females come and seek treatment than men. And so that can make some of that even more difficult. And oftentimes that's with research too. Yeah. No, I definitely, I have some of those same questions about eating disorders, which, you know, like 90% of those who struggle with anorexia are Mm -hmm. female. And so that's obviously, you know, it sounds like some similar rates to you. And um, yeah, we're not quite sure if, if, you know, what exactly that is, if it's specifically a gender thing. I mean, obviously we do have a culture that um, I think from the the small societal piece, because I don't think that's the big piece for everybody's eating disorder, but the yeah. small societal piece that does influence people, um, you know, women do have a different narrative about what they're supposed to look like and mm-hmm. have a bit more pressure on what they're supposed to look like than men do. Yeah. Um, and I do think that I would imagine that there are a lot of people, men in the eating disorder field and BFRBs that are just not seeking treatment mm-hmm. and not talking about it. Yeah. So... I don't know what we can do to change that. I mean, it's tough. I don't know either. Yeah. I'm not for sure. Uh, there is one other thing I do want to say about BFRBs to clear some uh, some of it up is that oftentimes people will relate um, hair pulling, for instance, with anxiety. You know, there's mm. that um, unfortunate saying of, I was so stressed I wanted to pull my hair out. Oh, well, I see what you're we saying. know yeah. that that's, that's not. not the uh, most PC way of uh, expressing your stress. Um, But statistically, they say one out of two BFRB sufferers actually has major depressive disorder. So depression is more common than anxiety with these sufferers. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. Because I would think that people would connect anxiety and hair pulling together. But it literally could be any type of emotion that's heightened, including excitement. Hmm. And I I think I've asked this for, like, personally Mm -hmm. to you. Not that I struggle with nail biting, but I've just known a lot of people in my personal life and even over the years that have. I feel like that's that's one that, you know, I'm pretty sure people listening to this right now could probably think of a person they know that bites their nails. Like, um... Is that, I know that it's not all BFRBs. Sure. So, like, how would you differentiate the nail-biting BFRB from, like, what a lot of people do as, I would say um, the growth patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I, uh, like the 
<clears throat> the nail biters that I work with have a hard, they have a hard time seeing the white piece come back. And that in itself can almost be an urge to get rid of it. Interesting. Uh, that's not collectively. That's okay. some of them. But what I would see as being the concern to say, is this um, nail biting or is this an actual BFRB, is how often do you have it almost down to the nubs? How often is it really sore? Do they get bloody frequently? Okay. Do you find yourself even wanting to bite your nails when you don't actually have anything there to bite? So would you say that for people that they're not quite to the point where it's bloody or down to the nubs, but like they do it daily and, you know, it's something Mm -hmm. that's a part of their daily life, like would that be something they need to seek therapy for or like – um, well, how would you, I guess, how would you kind of make sense of that I would in terms say of health? In, in that case, um, then I would assess how often do you feel that this is taking up time? Do you feel that this is distracting you from your life in a sense? What if they do it again? <laughs> like thinking of all these examples because I've, I've known You're a lot fine. of people. I've known You're a lot fine. of people that struggle and, with and this. And no biting um, is the one that we see societally acceptable. Right, right. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that means like it's actually like something to just look over or not. Um, you know, I'm open to either mm-hmm. kind of answer. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering for people like a lot of people that I've heard talk about it. It's more of like a mindless thing. Like they do yep. it. And they're not even thinking about it. It's like all of a sudden, like, you know, they'll start bleeding or something. That's Mm -hmm. usually when it catches their attention is like Mm -hmm. once it gets to a point where it's like, ow, this hurts. Um, But usually it's not distracting them from what they're doing. It's like almost ingrained in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Then I would ask how much does it bother them? Mm. Because without me actually seeing that person um, here and talking with them, I don't want to say, oh, that's totally a BFRB because I don't know. Right. Like we talked right. before that there's so much context involved in really um, figuring out what is just a human behavior and what is an actual BFRB and so forth. And it could be a BFRB and they're totally content with it. Right. Those aren't the people that are coming in and to, to treatment. Therapy. That's true. Yeah. That's very true. Nail biting is tricky. It definitely is um, because then again, it's being seen as, oh, it's just a bad habit. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we well, see and it I rampant see in like certain professions and, and so forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's it would be, it would change their quality of life if they were to address, if they were to seek therapy for that? Do you have any sort of opinions or thoughts uh, about that? I'd, I think that that's case by case. Okay. Fair I enough. really, really do. Fair enough. Because I'm like, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it is just like a habit that people have. But mm-hmm. for me, being like my personality type, I'm always just like, well, we can always grow and like learn and sure. kind of pay attention to those behaviors that we do. But, sure. you know, yeah, I know a lot of people that it's just kind of part of part of their life. Mm-hmm. Well, and people with trichotillomania excoriation disorder would say that as well, because there are some cases that have been occurring a great deal mm-hmm. of their life. But what you were talking before, that's known as the automatic phase to where uh, people are doing it. And <clears throat> oftentimes it's done in a sedentary position to where their bodies are really, really comfortable. Maybe their minds are focused on something um, screen mm-hmm. related. Right. So they um, will be doing the behavior without actually knowing it because their brain may be focused on their phone, tablet, homework. See that a lot of times at homework. 
um, a movie, that gotcha. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. No, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Well, I definitely feel like I learned from you today. Good. I'm glad that <laughs> you're able to share some of your expertise with me and with everybody who's listening. And Well, thank you for thank having you. me. Yeah, I, I'm flattered here. that you wanted to come in, and I will talk BFRBs anytime. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for your time, and that's it. All right. Now I get to talk to you guys about Soma Recovery. I'm very excited about the opening. Well, we're doing our soft opening February 1st, and we will be taking clients beginning probably mid-February. So I wanted to let you guys know exactly what Soma Recovery is. We will be an integrated mental health center that serves eating disorders and trauma, where we focus on trauma not just from a top-down approach, which is very traditional and normal therapeutic practices these days, but also a bottom-up approach where we'll be addressing the body parts of trauma and healing trauma that's stored in the body. This was a project that was inspired by many different things, including my own journey through recovery of an eating disorder and all of the recent things that I've learned about trauma and systemic therapies and deep transformational healing over the last five years of my life. And so I'm really excited to bring all of that together and have a group of clinicians that have very similar views all create something that's completely different for Wichita. So at SOMA, we have clinicians and therapists. We'll have a psychologist and probably a nurse practitioner, even though that's still kind of, we're still in the middle of working through all the details with that. And we will also have a dietitian and trauma-informed yoga therapist or a yoga um, instructor is probably a better way of putting it. We have all these people working together to serve this purpose. We'll have groups for eating disorders, groups for people struggling with trauma, and also a kids yoga group as well that will be Saturdays and yoga for helpers that will be free For therapists like you and other helpers in the community like teachers and policemen and basically any helping profession. We'll also be credentialed with most major insurance companies, although the timing on that may be more mid-February to April or March-April-ish. So we'll keep you posted on the ones we are credentialed with. Otherwise, we will have a... um, out-of-pocket fees and try to offer some discounted rates for people where we can. And we are also, we take HSAs. We will help with out-of-network benefits as well. So basically, we're trying to meet people where they're at when it comes to the financial part of it. If you guys have any other questions, please feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Soma Recovery, or our website, www.somawichita.com. We are so grateful for the ongoing community support and things that we've heard from people already. If you'd like to connect with us or collaborate with us or work with us, again, please reach out to us on Facebook or at, Facebook or at our website, somawichita.com. Thank you guys for your time, and I look forward to the next podcast.